Our DT Systems, the Wrap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way, but it's the Wrap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT Systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Our baby Gunner Kennels. Man, one of the things that I love about Gunner Kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies. Old Buck, he hangs out in a gunner kennel when he goes to and fro. And in his, we've got the ortho pad. He's got the old joints. And, and even if your dog's not old like Buck, you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit. So the ortho pad, super huge. If you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit, maybe chew a little bit, that performance pad is going to be clutch as well. So check it out. It's the full kit brought to you by Gunner Kennels, always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe. Slide in the DMs if you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel. All right, our number one asked question is revolving around force fetch. Whether your dog drops the bumper or duck at the edge of the water, or you failed a few hunt tests because the dog monkeys with the birds or won't pick up a bird, let me help you help your dog. Bunch of different breeds, bunch of different personalities, start to finish teaching you how to do it. Links in the description. Welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles, a Waypoint Outdoor Collective show and brought to you by Yukonuba Sporting Dog, the food that fuels our dogs on our truck. Today, I am overly excited to introduce a good friend of mine. He's a southern boy, man, giant. You may know him because you can see him over everybody else. I call him Western, but you can call him Wes. Wes Chester, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, Bob. I, I feel like I have made it. I don't care if I never pass another dog at a grand or make another HRCH or Master Hunter. I have made it in the dog training world because I am on your show. Buddy. <laughs> you're full of it. <laughs> Dude, I'm so glad you're here. I you know, we always have a good time at tests. We always have a good time, you know, chatting. So it's going to be really fun, you know, getting to know you better, actually. You know, we, we talk about current events when we talk, not your past and, and learning about your background. So this is going to be a really good episode. And just to give everybody a heads up, Wes has been running a lot of HRC. Uh, and so we're going to dive in today heavily on... HRC test started season finished and into the grand, which just uh, occurred last week or the week before, right, Wes? Yep, that was last week. Yep. Yep. So it's very current, and you know, on a lot of people's minds with questions of how to get their dog there or where to find a test and how do they run the test. And and to be honest with you, I don't know as much about HRC, so we don't really have HRC in New York. I got to drive far to do it or be in the South. And so I'm not the expert to talk about it. And so we brought on old Western Chester, the man, the myth, the legend. 
Oh, good gosh. Here we go. All right, buddy. Do me a favor. Give everybody yes, a little sir. bit of background on yourself. Bob, I am a southwestern, uh, southeastern Georgia boy born right here in Statesboro, Georgia. I graduated from Georgia Southern College many years ago. It's Georgia Southern University now. They'll tell you how long ago that was. I have a Bachelor of Science in Commercial Recreation. Now, people say, what in the world is that? Yeah, that's a good but question. you know what? Commercial Recreation could be the grand. It could be HRC test. It could be master test. It could be running a golf course. It could be anything that people pay for to go and recreate. So it was kind of a broad but very interesting, and I have been able to use that, and I'm at where I, I am where I am now, using that degree that's in a commercial cool. recreation. No, I mean, that's where I'm at. I used to commercially um, recreate with a couple of girls from Georgia Southern. Oh, yeah. Imagine <laughs> you did. Imagine you did. Um, We're not you know, editing I that have... out. <laughs> I have worked in more places than you can imagine. I have worked for the state of Georgia in the prison system. I have worked um, in a in a county recreation department. I have sold construction equipment, and that was probably the best job that I ever had besides what I'm doing right now, training dogs. I love sales. Um, I just am, can talk to people. I never meet a stranger. One thing my wife hates about me, because I just talk to everybody, anywhere, at any time. But, you know, there was a time a few years ago when uh, construction just fell off the face of the earth. And if nobody's buying construction equipment, a salesman's not making any money. So we decided, I came home one day, and they had sold our company, and they had gotten rid of a bunch of us. And my wife said, you know, what are we going to do? And I said, I think I'm going to train dogs. And she broke down and cried right there. <laughs> She said, we're going to starve to death. <laughs> yeah, we, I can relate. And what's that? I can relate. Oh, yeah, sure. So, you know, kind of out of necessity, trying to find something to do, because um, I was training a dog here for this buddy and training one for that buddy, and I said, let's just do it. So I went out and built a few kennels, and I got a few dogs, and it went good, and we started running hunt tests. And we started passing dogs, and we started building hunt retriever champions. And this guy saw it, and he told his buddy, and he called, and we got his dog in and got his dog in. I mean, now we got a kennel where we keep 30 dogs here, and uh, that's where we are. <clears throat> I'm awesome. by no means an expert. I will tell you this right now. I will train with anybody, anytime, anywhere, because I want to see how the other guy does it. I don't know it all. I want to see how Bob does it. I want to see how Frank does it. I want to see how everybody does it because there's something in his program that I can use. Absolutely. I've never trained with anybody that, and I've never trained with anybody where at the end of the day I went, oh, that was a waste of time. No, I because everybody has their little differences of things that they do. And you know, I told somebody the other day about training dogs. I said, it's kind of like a professional golfer. If you watch every professional golfer, there's not two of them that have the exact same swing. But every one of them get the ball in the hole. And that's what it is. That's the way it is with dog training. I mean, what may work for you, I may not that may not work for me. 
I'm just a different kind of trainer than you or the next guy or the next guy. But we find what works, and we get the dogs across the finish line. That's a really, really good analogy, man. Um, really good analogy. And I couldn't agree with you more in terms of learning from others. You know, A, what you like, and B, what you don't like. You know, they may get the dog across the line, but I'm not willing to go to that, you know, length or, you know, in, in terms of harshness, right? Absolutely. And, and, no, and, that. and then there are guys who you see that do it a, a different way in a positive light, and you're like, man, I could really incorporate that. And, and by God, it helped these three dogs, you know, in, tenfold, and I'll never forget it, you know. And, yeah, learning from other people, the good and the bad, is essential to be trying to be the best. It's just like sports, you know? That's exactly right. You know, I've, I've really only been doing this professionally for about seven or eight years. And I feel like I came into the dog training world in an exceptional time because those first couple of years, the people that I trained with or the things that I watched, there was a lot of pressure people used pressure on dogs and then i went and trained with colby williams and colby and mark Patton had teamed up and they were working together and mark Patton has come from the schitzen world and those guys are so far advanced in their dog training techniques over us retriever trainers they, you know, you look at those Belgian Malawas and stuff and just how driven those dogs are, and they're just on a different plateau as far as their drive goes. And you wonder, how do they make those dogs work like that, and they're so driven? And Mark said, look, you have to recreate that in training. When you walk to that line to run a training mark, that dog has to be just as jacked up right there as he does at a test, and he learns how to deal with that. We don't beat him into submission. We teach him how to handle that that intensity and that drive so that when he does get to a test, he can do his work. So I've seen just in the last eight years, you know, people who are just pressure trainers go to more positive, you know. They, they use more – What's the word I'm looking for? They're just more positive trainers than they are pressure. And sure. guess what? Both work. But a dog that's trained with the positive, with the with the good, with the dog being hyped up, is a much happier dog, and he's going to do you a much better job than a dog that walks to the line scared to death. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, I don't even have anything to follow up. Um I actually really try and pride myself on that, and I know a lot of us do, is creating happy dogs. You know, they need to That's do the correct. work, and they need to listen, but I want them to be happy doing it. Um, one thing I, I talked to somebody about this weekend at a hunt test was, you know, they were having trouble, and they are like, this dog's got a job to do. And I stopped, and I was like, I don't know when I came up with it, and I'm sure I didn't come up with it, Wes, but, you know, I hated my jobs. I hated selling copiers. I hated selling business insurance. I hated getting up every day. I was probably pretty miserable to hang out with. Quite Kevin's nodding his head. Thanks, Kev. The good glory days of Bob <laughs> Owens. 
right? And how many Americans hate going to work? A lot, unfortunately. So why are we making this a job for a dog? You know what I love doing? Playing rugby. I love going to the gym. I loved eating healthy. I loved doing two-a-days. I loved being with my buddies. I loved, you know, being at the end of practice and saying, let's do some sprints and, you know, push ourselves because we're going to go to states this year, you know? Um, and so I look at it more like we're playing a sport and it's a team and it's a game. Yeah, I'm the coach and you got to listen to me, but that's the analogy I use now. Sure. You look, you, you look at these dogs, even, even the happy dogs, even the happy dogs that are trained, how much happier are they when you go hunting versus when you're in the training field? Oh yeah. I mean, they, they understand, they know they have a job to do and they love to do it. And if we can keep those guys happy, you look at how many trainers now, when they pull a dog off a truck to go run a test, throw them a few bumpers beforehand. And then how many of those same trainers throw him the same bumpers afterwards, whether he did good or bad, trying to keep his attitude up, trying to keep him happy. Yep. A happy dog is so much more fun to run. Yep. And, and you know what, you brought up a, a good point there, how you hate your job or your old jobs. And, and, and I had some of those too. I, I can't deny that. But I, one of the great thrills I get as a dog trainer is when I see these schools having career day oh I, I call the school right away hey can i come oh well, what do you do sir i'm i'm a, I'm a dog trainer what you, you want to come to career day please can i sure okay i need to be at the football field so here come all these kids down to the football field and i got my truck shined up my trailer there and i got five or six dogs on it i'm standing out there with my merrills and short pants and a nice t-shirt on and these kids are looking at me like what is this and I get to tell these kids, you know what? If you want to go to college, by all means, go to college. You've done been inside. You've seen the doctors, the lawyers, the bankers, the attorney. You've seen those. But let me tell you what I do. Let me tell you who I work with every day. Let me tell you what I get to do every single day and pull the dogs off these trucks. And when they get through talking to me, not a single one of those kids want to go to college anymore. <laughs> and it's such an awesome opportunity to show these kids that there's other things that they can do. They don't have to go to school to be a successful business person and make enough money to support your family and love what you do every day. That is such a thrill to me to go see and talk to those kids. Dude, that's really, really cool. And even if they don't want to be a dog trainer, but but able to look in the mirror and say, boy, I always wanted to be a, a small business owner or, sure. uh, you know, do anything, well, you know. And, you know, that's the point of the whole thing, Bob. Sure, I want them to see what the dogs can do, and they're usually pretty wild at what these dogs can do. And we talk about how what we do leads over to military dogs and bomb dogs and, and stuff like that. But the the focal point of that is you know you don't have to fit into a mold just because somebody says you have to go find something that you love and do it yep go do it and i digressed i ain't got nothing to do with dog training but you, you brought it up so it's your fault no no i love loved it loved it
Um, let's talk a little bit more about your past. How did you get into dog training and, and mentors and, you know, things like that? You spoke of Colby and he's a great dude and I've never gotten to train with him, but, you know, see him at tests and stuff and just what a great young guy who, who grinds, but who else do you look up to and enjoy working with? I bought my very first dog. I was doing an internship on the Naval base in Charleston, South Carolina. And I can't even tell you what year that was. It's probably around 87. And I looked in the, I decided I wanted a black lab and I looked in the newspaper in Charleston and I found an ad black lab for sale. And I went and bought me a female. Her name was Jessie. And when I went to pick her up, the guy was kind of showing me some stuff and, he was an amateur trainer, and I thought, man, that's pretty cool right there. I'm going to train Jesse. Well, I did, and Jesse would sit, and she was not steady, and she would pick up everything that dang hit the water, and I thought I was big timing, buddy. I thought I was the man with a dog that would pick up wood ducks and doves. And Jesse stayed around for a long time, and I got my first job, and I got married, and Jesse went to live with my mom and dad in her golden years. And as time went on, I'd pick up a dog here or there. Somebody would give me a puppy, and I'd train on it, and I'd give it away, or I'd sell it. Or, you know, just the basic meat dog is all I was training. The dreaded meat dog. Hmm. So we decided, you know, 10 years ago or so that um, I wanted some more dogs. I didn't have any dogs. And I wanted some more dogs. And being in southeast Georgia, I had a Boykin way years ago, years and years and years ago, before anybody even knew what Boykins were. I'll never forget, I went to a, a dove shoot, and my Boykin was riding in the front seat of the truck with me. And we got out, and everybody kind of laughed. And they, you know, hey, that kid brought a Cocker Spaniel to this dove shoot. Hmm. And they snickered. And when the dove shoot was over, everybody wanted to know, hey, what kind of dog is that? What can I get one of those things? And they were just awesome she's just awesome but anyway we bought two boykins we bought a little female named jazz and we bought a male out of a t-boy litter t-boy was an hrch dog the t-boy male had poor hips at two so we neutered him and sold him jazz was an awesome awesome dog i still have her she's out here in the kennel right now no way and Jazz could mark lights out. I mean, we would go train with lab guys, and they were like, eh, I don't know if you want to run this thing. And I'd say, yeah, okay, maybe we probably can't pick that up. And she'd step on it, and they'd be like, wow, that dog can mark. Jazz went on to have a litter of puppies that was an accident. And it was with that T-boy puppy, and we had not – they weren't two yet, and we had an accidental breed. It happens. I, I hate that it happened, but it happened. And we just sold the puppies unregistered, you know, three or $400 a piece. And a buddy of mine named Blaine Tarnecki, <laughs> you may know that name. He called and he said, hey, man, I want one of those puppies. I said, these are unregistered puppies. He said, I want one. I want you to save me the meanest, nastiest male you got. Tell me that was Drake. That was Drake. That was Drake. Drake got to be about 
nine or ten months old. And Blaine calls me back and says, hey, man, any way we can get these puppies registered? I said, why? He said, this dog is bad. And we jumped through some hoops, and we made it happen. And Blaine understood, and we registered Drake with a limited privilege registration until Drake was two, and we could get him tested for EIC and get his hips checked. And fortunately, at two, Drake checked out. That was the same year I think he was in the top five at the Boyke Spaniel Nationals in the Open Division. And, uh, yeah, that was Drake. No way. He ended up going on, everybody. If you revert back to uh, our Blaine podcast, Drake is the one who ended up winning the Boykin Open, uh, man, what, six years ago? Yeah, it probably was. Yeah, and and Drake was, what, three? He was only three, three or four, man? Yeah, I'm not sure. He was really young. I mean, that was against Chief and and Stoney and Pelham. And, you know, Chief was the most decorated Boykin in the history of the – sport of hrc had had over three thousand hrc points but drake was an incredible incredible dog blaine did such a wonderful job with that dog dude that's unreal that's a really good story so anyway i decided to be a trainer and like every trainer that comes along i've read every book i've watched every video um and it just so happened that through a previous marriage, a cousin of mine asked me, he said, hey, do you know my dad? And I said, no, I don't think I know your dad. Who's your dad? And she said, his name is Keith Farmer. I <laughs> sure. said, wait, your, your, your dad is Keith Farmer? She said, yeah, he lives in Waycross. I need to introduce you. So she did. And I went down to Keith's place in Blackshear and uh, just nice guy. Just he didn't know me from Adam. And. When I pulled up at his kennel, he walked out to meet me, and I stepped out of my truck, and I stuck my hand out, and I gave him one of those good southern boy handshakes and looked him right in the eye, and I said, Keith, I am not here for you to train my dogs. I said, I've watched every video, and I've read every book, and they always show the dog doing it right. I want to know what to do when the dog does it wrong. And I really kind of sometimes wish I hadn't said that because he has rode my butt (laughs) when I do it wrong. He doesn't mind telling me, but he is probably, he's probably taught me more in this sport than anybody. He's always an open book. I mean, I can call him with questions about anything. Um, He doesn't pretend to know it all, but he will tell me what his experiences are. And he's taught me more about this dog training than, than anybody else. That's but really cool. With that being said, Bob, and I hope you've had the same experience, but I've never been to another professional trainer and ask a question and they not give me the answer. Everybody is so polite and they want to help each other, especially in in the in the hunt test game that you and I run, because we're not competing against each other. Right. We're competing against the standard. So I want to see all your dogs pass. I want to see all Blaine's dogs pass. I want to see all Matt's dogs pass. And, you know, we're there for each other when they don't pass. You know, I, I come back and say, what in the world? Did you see what that dog did? What What was he thinking? 
where sometimes I think in the field trial world, there's maybe a little politics or, you know, people perceive it to be politics, you know, in placements and stuff where we don't have that in the hunt test game. Right. So yeah. I've trained with Keith. I've trained with Colby. You know, Brad Arrington has always given me an invitation to come down to Mossy Pond. Um, Stephen Durrance, who's right over here, about 35 miles from us. I've never called Stephen with a problem and he not say, hey, come on, let's see what's going on. Let's see if I can help you fix it. That's cool. So, I mean, everybody's just been really nice and really helpful. And I've just had a ball. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. I've had the exact same experience, man. I, to a T, you know, we all lean on each other. And in the good times and bad, you can call any of the friends we've made and bounce ideas. Hey, have you seen this? Um, you, what's that? Ask him to be on a podcast, he says. Yeah. Um, you know, and just bounce ideas and, and troubleshoot and different drills to work on different issues. And, yeah, I, I can't express the gratitude to all the people that have helped me along the way. And, you know, it's cool that you've had that same experience. And that's what this, and that's what this podcast is about, you know, through lone duck and Instagram, you know, I've been fortunate enough to touch a lot of people and their dogs and help them through some of their issues. But like you said, I'm no, I'm not perfect. I don't know everything. And, Nobody does, but we are all collectively a resource that can maybe today talking to me and you, they can hear something that we say and say, boy, I'm going to try that with Jed and old Jed's going to come out of the box happy now because they're going to throw fun bumpers before and after, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And you know, I I think, uh, I, 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 obviously watch all your live stuff and I enjoy the questions and I enjoy your answers. But I think sometimes amateurs are scared to approach a pro trainer when they should not be, you know, I mean, I, I, folks come and train with us. I mean, you can come and day train with us. You can call me with questions and I'll be glad to answer it for you. You, you don't have to be scared of pro trainers. We want to help folks. You know, I know not everybody's going to send me their dog. They're going to try to train them themselves, just like I did when I was in college. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anybody that's listening, if you have a question, you know, go to your pro trainer. You know how happy I would be if a truck pulled up here in the morning and said, hey, you know, I'd like to watch and I got some questions for you, but can I stand out there and throw a bird for you? Yes, you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, All right. Let's dive into a little bit of your duck hunting. Oh, jeez. I want to know. Ooh. I want to know what what you like to do, where you like to go, buddy. Well, it's living. You're cursed if you're a duck hunter and you live in Southeast Georgia. I mean, you're cursed because we have some wood ducks. You know, if you're lucky enough to find a few early season teal on a pond, you better go and shoot them suckers right now because they will not be there in the morning. 
you know, just living, we're really close to the coast. I'm, I'm 50 miles from the coast in southeastern Georgia. I can be in Florida an hour and a half. I can be in South Carolina in 45 minutes. I can be on the beach at Tybee Island in an hour. So we're, we're just not the mecca of ducks. So we've had to do our research and travel. I have a buddy that we graduated college with, Mr. Yancey Houston, and he's probably not listening to this, but I started hunting and fishing with Yancey. Ouch, man. Maybe he is. Well, he's, he's not the most technical, computer-savvy, Instagram kind of, you know. I but I'm going to tell him now that he's going to be on there, so he'll go and listen. <laughs> and we started we started hunting with those guys when we were in college, and they had a place over on Lake Blackshear. And I went with them, and the very first duck hunt I ever went on a big lake, I killed a banded hen mallard. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. And I was hooked. And this was back in the glory days again. This was probably late 80s. When, you know, that was before Duck Commander, nobody really knew anything about duck hunting down here. But Lake Blackshear was on the Flint River Flyway, which the birds came down on the eastern flyway all the way down into Florida. And there was tons of ducks. I mean, I can remember back then, those guys killed blacks. You know, mallards would show up late in December and into January. And that was just like fun. I was hooked. Well, Yancey's brother, Jason, owns an engineering company. And he went to Stuttgart, Arkansas, and hunted the flooded timber with Kurt McCullough. This is the Biomita. This was back when guides could hunt on public land. And they went in there the first day, and they killed like a 10-man limit. And if you know who Kurt McCulley is, I mean, he's just a god in Arkansas at flooded timber hunting. And Jason kind of watched that and went, you know what? We can kind of do this ourselves. So he started carrying us to Biomita in Arkansas. And I think we have now been consistently for somewhere between 27 and 30 years every year. The same group of us go back. And through his engineering firm, he has now built a house out there. He runs his business for 60 days out of Stuttgart, Arkansas. He leases land, and we have beans and rice and reservoirs in that public land right there. And I have just basically built my duck hunting career in Arkansas. Dude, that's so cool. And it's just it, – if you knew the group of guys that we hunt with, and we duck hunt and we deer hunt. And we don't use guides. We're going to Nebraska, and we're hunting public land, and we knock on people's doors and say, hey, can we pay you to hunt? And we got ourselves. And that's just so much more fun and so enjoyable when you can go and be successful doing it yourself. So I am a flooded timber guy. There is nothing more beautiful to me than standing in 22,000 acres of flooded timber. No roads in, no roads out, no markings. You just have to go and scout and find birds. And at daylight, a group of 10 mallards come by, and you call at them, and they swing big. And when they come back by, there's 30. And you call at them, and they swing big. And when they come back by, there's 50. 
and that one duck decides to break rank and fall in the trees, and here they come. That's I mean, so cool. dude, that is heaven to me. That is something we've hunted down there. Do you remember Dakota Miller? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, so Kevin and I, a while ago, it's been several years, Dakota invited us down, and when we got down there, the weather had just shifted, and we couldn't get into the flooded timber. So I've been to Arkansas once just in uh it was near jonesboro but we didn't get the flooded timber hunt and i want to so bad dude you've got an open invitation mate done that sounds great i was waiting for it you know (laughs) the cool thing about that there was bob is it's public land it's twenty two thousand acres so you know as well as i do in the south you get a big cold front coming, you watching the weather and this polar vortex is going to drop down through the Midwest. And you know, you better have a backpack sitting over by the door and you jump in it and you get in your truck, you go to Arkansas and you hunt flooded timber because the next day the woods are going to be full of birds. That's cool. No, I I really would love to. Um, I really would. I mean, we can make that happen, Wes. Stay tuned, everyone, because Wes and I, (laughs) we're leaving Kevin behind and we're coming. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome so the duck the duck hunting here is is bad i mean we we have wood ducks summer ducks you know whatever you call them um and don't get me wrong it's it's fun to shoot wood ducks you know the limit's three that can be over in literally five minutes and then you go back to the house and you train dogs the rest of the day which doesn't suck either for sure uh, no absolutely not what's your shotgun of choice i have i cut my teeth it's, it, this is a funny story. I cut my teeth on a Sears and Roebuck 16-gauge revelation that my dad had. Pump. And to this day, I, I went and shot birds last weekend. I was invited to a really nice dove shoot, and I carried my Remington 870 20-gauge pump. Nice. And when I go to the timber, I carry my Benelli Nova pump. I have a, a Super Black Eagle. But I just, you know, um, people have their favorite guns and people have their favorite clubs and people have their favorite everything. But that Nova, when I put that bead on the end of that Mallard's nose, that joker's coming down. And I I can just feel that. And I just, I I feel so much more confident shooting that gun over that super black eagle that it's just not even funny. And I've got a fourteen year old now, so really I don't own that super black eagle anymore. <laughs> so I wind up shooting that Nova, but that's I, I really love to shoot that Nova. That's super cool. What's your shotgun shell of choice for shooting ducks? Um you know, we usually buy shells when we get to Arkansas. And lately the deals have been on Kent's and I I I feel good shooting kents as I do anything. We shoot three inch number twos, unless we know we're going to kill you know speckle bellies or snow geese or something. But we shoot three inch twos in the timber and in the rice. Gotcha. I'm a three inch three kind of guy. Three inch threes. That's what. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah. That's what I shoot and feel comfortable. Like you said, uh, to quote you, you know, you pull up that Nova, put the bead on his nose, and you're confident. For whatever reason, when I pull up and I've got something other than what I normally shoot, 
I miss. When I put a heavy shot, (laughs) three-inch three in, I'll knock my limit down in 10 shells versus a whole box of something else. I don't know why. I don't know if it's the gun. If if you gave me the same style gun but a different, you know, who knows. But I just, it is what it is, so I'm not changing it, man. You know, that saying goes, most people miss by six inches, and it's that six inches between your ears. <laughs> and that is the absolute truth. You know, when you feel confident and you pull that gun up, man, you, that's your gun. That's what you that's, that's what you grew up with. You just feel good about it, and, and mine is the Nova. Good for you. Cool. All right, let's get into HRC, man. So a lot of our questions, you know, just dog training and dogs, the – the South is where it's at. The Southeast, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama. It's it's big down there, and so is HRC, and and that's kind of where you cut your teeth, as you said before. So, you know, if someone is starting, and they got a young dog, and they want to get into HRC, tell them how to do it, and what they can expect at a started test. There is only one way that you should really get started, and that, that that's that's a false statement. But let me say the best way to get started in HRC is to go find you a club. There are HRC clubs down here around every corner, and they welcome members, and they have training days, and that's where you can go and you can ask questions. When we have training days, we set up mock tests especially in the started in the season level where the younger, I'm not, not necessarily age-wise, but the less inexperienced handlers maybe, you know, they're, everybody's nervous. But these clubs are so willing to help people, um, not only with learning how to run a test, but learning, you know, how to train your dog, how to get your dog ready for that test. Um, started is a great place. We still run all – 99% of the dogs that we run in HRC, we run two started tests with. In the HRC, you get points for every test you pass. In started, you get five points for a pass. But you can only carry 10 points over to the next level out of started. So we run two started tests to get the 10 points to get the dog the experience of being at the test because so many people overlook that importance. And then we move on to season. But a started test is nothing more than two landmarks, two watermarks. We want to see the dog go to the area of the fall, establish a hunt, pick up the bird, return to the handler. And they don't even have to, you know, deliver to hand. As long as the dog brings the bird back, within, we say, one normal step of where the handler's standing, then we call that a successful retreat. And started is a, is a really good place for an inexperienced handler to learn, you know, the mechanics of a test. You know, how you, you have a dog number and you have to get in line and you have to go from this holding blind to that holding blind. And then you walk to the line and you have to blow your duck call. And it started, you can hold your dog by the collar so he's steady. And then you release him and let him go and pick up the dog, pick up the bird and come back. So 
if I had to give anybody some advice on getting started in the HRC, it's find a club. And you know, we were talking the other day. I think in Georgia, we have six or seven HRC clubs just right here in this state. Will you do so me a favor care. real quick? Yeah, sure. Can you rattle off a few names of the clubs so that people yeah, sure. in Georgia and South Carolina, I mean, those are the only places Absolutely. I know of them. Just rattle off a few names so people can find them um, on Facebook or Google. My home club is Coastal Empire. They're based out of Savannah. Um, then you have uh, Southwest Georgia. You have uh, Middle Georgia. You have Etowah. You have Old South, which is probably one of the oldest HRC clubs that there is. And Etowah is in way north Georgia. Um, Southwest Georgia is in way south Georgia. Middle Georgia, obviously, is in middle Georgia. Coastal is on the coast. Um, Old South, you know, they're based everywhere. I mean, they hold their test. They've held them in Alabama. They've held them in South Carolina. They've held them all over the state of Georgia. So those are those are just in the state of Georgia. Those are within a two-hour drive of anybody anywhere just about in the state of Georgia. And these guys have training days, and those training days are scattered, you know, at different trainers' place or a different um, just places all over. There's no telling where a training day may be. They may have one at Mossy Pond. Or they may have one at Stephen Durance's, or they may have one at Joe Blow's big cattle farm over there because he's got five ponds and a bunch of hay fields. So they could they could be anywhere. People are so willing to help in the HRC that I mean, they could be anywhere. Cool. And then you just go over the line into South Carolina, and you've got Charleston, you've got uh, Midlands. In, there there's several HRC clubs just right there across the line in Georgia, and then you go into Alabama and Tennessee, and there's just HRC clubs everywhere. So I'll tell and you that, a funny and you story. Don't have that. Yeah, we don't have that. Gotta love New York, buddy. Um, so I'll give you a quick story about Old South, and then we'll keep going. I'm sorry to digress, everybody. <laughs> no, no, this is fun. So years ago. Oh, man, Kev. Do you remember the trip to Old South? All right, he's laughing his ass off. So, Phoenix City, Alabama. Oh, yeah. Is 19 and a half hours from Syracuse, New York. (laughs) And I had, uh, I think I rented a U-Haul at the time. I rented a U-Haul. I loaded all my Lone Duck t-shirts and hats and leather slip leads and I think that's probably all I had at the time collars whatever and Kevin and I drove from Syracuse all night on a Friday I got out of work at you know five o'clock and at about 5 30 we were in the car starting to drive and it was a long long day two days several days we didn't even stop so we didn't stop. We drove all the way to Phoenix City, Alabama, pitched a tent on the side of the road because we couldn't figure out how, to, yeah, in a ditch, couldn't figure out how to get into the grounds because it was pitch black out. So we pitched a tent, side of the road, sleep in the tent. And you know how in the middle of the night you got to get up and go pee? No big deal. You go pee in the woods. Yeah, in the north you just pee wherever you want. So we, we get out of the tent, take a leak, put on our clothes, 
and we go set up our booth, and Joe Overby hooked me up. Good friend of mine uh, in from Georgia. He hooked me up down there, and a lot of great people, and a lot of people bought a ton of stuff, and boy, I thought I was high rolling. We made, I don't know, $800 or something <laughs> selling T-shirts and hats out of the back of my, my uh, U-Haul that I rented. So this dude walks up to us, super nice guy, and he had to talk to us for an hour. And he's like, were you guys the ones sleeping in the tent on the side of the road? We're like, yep, that was us. <laughs> he goes, you know we got snakes down here, right? And we're like, uh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. He goes, yeah, you couldn't walk 10 feet into those woods without stepping on a snake. And then the, a girl walks up, and she's like, I just had to shoot a water moccasin two minutes ago. I'm like, Jesus we are not in Syracuse anymore here. <laughs> in the middle of the night, I was walking around in my underwear in that ditch, taking a taking a leak and things like that barefoot. The guy was like, "Are you you're, you're kidding, right? That that's deadly. Like you could have died." I'm like, "Well, I, I don't know. We don't even have bears well, up north where I'm at." <laughs> that's one of the joys of of dog training in the south. Not only do we have water moccasins, not only do we have diamondback rattlesnakes, not only do we have copperheads, not only do we have timber rattlers, we also have alligators. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's like a whenever you pull up to a piece of water, you know, just take a quick stroll around on your four-wheeler. Make sure you don't see I hear something you. that could be deadly for you or your dogs. But, no, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. So, so we literally sell our gear on Saturday, turn around Saturday night, Picked up a dog from Lee Howard and Brad Arrington, drove it to Nashville. At like midnight, a guy picked the puppy up in Nashville. We slept in a Chinese food parking lot, drove the rest of the way Monday morning, went back to work on Tuesday. That was for $800. Oh, did we drive Sunday? Yeah, you're right. So we drove all the way on Sunday and went to work on Monday for 800 bucks and slinging Loan D gear in, in freaking Phoenix City, Alabama. But look what kind of character that built in you guys. That's right. Kevin said ugly. <laughs> he said called me ugly. No, it was dude. We did a lot of crazy stuff like that, and and you're right. It was fun, and the people we met. I'll never forget that story and all the other ones that we did. But but anyways, that's my Phoenix City, Alabama, and Old South story. All right, now we got a dog ready for seasoned. Let it rip. What do you got to do, bud? Season test. Um... The dogs still on lead. You go from holding blinds. You walk to the line um, on lead. Once you get to the line, you take your dog off lead. You steady the dog. You can either start the test, depending on the judges. You can start it with a cold bind, or you could start the test with a set of marks. Again, you run a land series and a water series. It's doubles this time so you would run a double water series and run a water bond you also run a double land series with a land blind and somewhere in that test either on land or water you have to do a diversion so when your dog is on the way back from a it's usually the last mark the dog picks up they will throw another bird that you must load a shell and shoot at and your dog must continue to come back to you with the bird that it's had originally had in its mouth and deliver that to hand before it picks up the diversion bird. Again, you're just displaying some control 
in the retriever. You also have a walk-up, which is you will exit the blind. You have loaded one shell, and you are walking in a specific direction wherever the judges have told you to walk to. And as you're walking and that dog's at heel, a bird will come out of a winger hide being thrown out in front of you, and you must steady the dog, shoot at the bird. Once the dog has displayed that he is steady, now you send the dog to pick up the bird and bring it back. Again, it's just a control issue. When going from seasoned, uh, from started to season, you have to have a dog that is much more under control. You cannot hold your dog at the line anymore. He must be steady to the shot and not leave the line until he is directed by the handler. So now we're getting into some hunting dogs. We're in season, we're in started, we're just showing that the dog has the ability and the want to. Now, I mean, a good seasoned dog, a good season level dog is a hunting dog. I mean, he should show characteristics and he should be proficient that you could take him to the duck barn or to the dove field and actually be a, a pretty doggo good hunting dog. I, I agree with that. You know, able to work. Do they have to honor? Do not honor in season. You do not honor in season. Okay. And they've got a you still have to shoot the gun over their head, correct? Yep. You shoot the handler shoots the gun. He shoots at every mark. He shoots at the diversion and he shoots at the walk up. Very good. And you have to correct. be in full camo gear. That is a new rule. It's funny. It's uh yes. You have to have camo from head to toe. Camo pants, camo shorts are allowed, a camo shirt, and if you wear a hat, it must be camo also. Really? But at least, yes, and it cannot be a visor. You must wear a – no, 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 I take that back. In a regular weekend test, you can wear a visor. At the Grand, you cannot. But at the Grand, we saw last week, you do not have to wear shoes. You don't have to wear if shoes. If you saw that picture, <laughs> if you saw that picture, a female handler named Callie, who is a super handler, she titled one of her dogs as a Grand Champion last week. Nice. It so much rain up there that it was just mucky, muddy, nasty. And Callie just kicked her shoes off and went to the line, and they had built a platform that you sit on to run the dogs out in the water, and she was just as barefooted as she could be. That's awesome. That was pretty cool. It was I cool. mean, why not, right? That, that's right. So what, but that's uh, a season test. That's really cool. So um, do you typically find yourself running more seasoned or finished dogs? You kind of just hit the whole gamut. Yeah, I mean, once we get to that season level, um, we go ahead and run all three season tests. I mean, you're really getting that dog an education of how to run at a hunt test. Um, you're going to find running hunt tests, you, you just cannot duplicate that in a training environment. When the dog gets there on the truck, all right, he's, he's loaded up here on Friday night. We've driven – three hours he spent the night on the truck he knows something's up right now we get to the test there's trucks everywhere there's dogs everywhere there's people everywhere duck calls are going off guns are being shot and this dog is so jacked up he's ready to do what he came to do but again you have to show that control that dog has to be under control he has to be steady and through running season it creates a dog who understands the hunt test game, and he is now 
you know, much more experienced when he gets to the finish level. Do you have to run started and seasoned before you run finished? No, absolutely not. You could go straight and run finished if you want to. All right, so Wes, uh, I apologize. I just ran and took a quick leak. Uh, I'm cheating on Bush Light. I had Coors Light tonight, so my apologies. Um, but I want to touch real quick. How many passes to get started? Four, correct? Okay. All right. The HRC, to earn titles, you have points. So for every start test, you get five points. But if you remember, you can only carry 10 points from started over to the next title. So if we ran four started tests, you would get a started hunting retriever title. But you can only carry 10 points over to season. When you run season, you get 10 points. And you must have 40 points to have a a seasoned a HR hunting retriever is the title you get once you get 40 points. So if you didn't run started, you had no points. You have to run four season tests, which are 10 points apiece. Now you've got 40 points. If you've passed a ball and now you have a hunting retriever an HR, or if you did run those two started tests, you carry 10 points over a season test worth 10 you run three of those plus the 10 points you brought from started. Now you've got 40 points. Now you have a hunting retriever and you only ran three started us three seasoned test because you ran two started tests. Did that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think, uh, we typically run AKC though, because we're not math guys. So that makes it a little bit easier. Um, have you, do you run any AKC stuff with your dogs? AKC? Absolutely. We do when we can get in the test. And that's a whole nother podcast, buddy. I was going to ask what which one you think is more difficult to get in. Well, to, uh, to finish, yeah, a hundred and a hundred and twenty dog AKC test down here in the south will fill up in less than two minutes. Yeah, we we kind of have that issue up north too. We, I mean, Bob missed a couple master dogs last week, week two ago. But I mean, in terms of like passing dogs, like do you feel like if you were to look at a dog, is there ever an, a, a chance where you say, like, this dog would pass seasoned, but it wouldn't pass a mat or, excuse me, like a senior? Does that make sense? Yes. Um, probably not senior versus um, seasoned. Those two are very, very similar. The only difference in those two tests is, one, you have a flyer. Two, you have an honor in senior. And three, you must walk from the holding line to the retrieving line off lead and under control. Wait a minute. So you don't have to have a live flyer in HRC in season? No, sir. No, sir. Matter of fact, you you very, very, very rarely see a flyer and finished. I guess I didn't know that. Yeah, very rarely do you see a flyer and finished. Why? That's a good question, Bob. <laughs> I mean, a dead duck is a same cause as a live duck. That's correct. You, you know, it just takes a little. Well, oh gosh, man, 
You need to get a panel. You need to get a panel of folks on here and let's talk about the hunt testing. Um, you yes, very. You the rules say you can use live flyers, but by the time you get help, bird boys, you get people who know how to throw and shoot and handle live flyers. I mean, that's that's more difficult than just getting a Boy Scout troop to pull wingers all day. Does that make sense? It, it makes complete sense, actually. Yeah. I mean, you know as well as I do, how many AKC tests have you been to where you took your turn shooting and throwing flyers? Uh, enough. Yeah. And and in HRC, um, you know, the other thing is in an HRC finish test, you can have no more than 30 dogs. So if you take, let's just say you take five dogs to run, you're now, you don't have time to go shoot flyers. Right. They've got you spaced out in there just so you can have two or three dogs between you, and now the flight's over, and you move to water. That's so really it's just point. a logist, it's a logistical thing, I think, in HRC. I've been to HRC tests where they have thrown flyers before, but it's very, very, very rare. Very rare. So that's the other I difference, would, and you, you dabbled in it, and we're going to get more into finished here in a second, but you can get a finished pass on a Saturday where, as a, a master test, it's a two-day event. Absolutely. That's, that is correct. That is correct. Cool. I didn't know that there was a 30 dog max, but I guess I, it didn't even comprehend, but yeah, you got to do two series. It's two series and master is three. That's correct. All right, let's dive into, let's dive into finished now since we've already started. A finished test again is two series. You have a land series and a water series. Um, now the dog must show superior control. So you must walk from the holding line to the retrieving line completely off lead. The dog has to be under, you know, pretty good control. He can't be bouncing around and jumping on you and barking and running way over there, coming back. And, you know, they want to see that dog walk a heel quietly to the retrieving line, sit, and wait patiently for you to load your gun and, and be ready to shoot the marks. Finish consists of m multiple mark retrieves. I believe that's what the rule book says. Typically, 99.9% .9 of the time, it is a triple. Um, triple on land, triple on water, um, and it's a single blind. So you'll have a land blind, and again, you'll have a water blind. Um you also have a diversion, one diversion. It can be on land or it can be on water. You do not have a walk-up like you do in season. But then you do have an honor. And, again, the honor can be on land or it can be on water, just whatever the judges decide to set up. So it's a triple with a blind, and then at some point during the day, you're going to have a diversion. Cool. So I'll give everybody a little uh, story about I ran my old dog – Similar to your story, Wes, like we had that dog that we wanted to be more than just a meat dog. Well, this is old Buck. And when I was working for Rhett in South Carolina, I ran him in a few finished passes, or excuse me, a few finished tests. And we got a couple passes and we had a blast doing it. I loved it. And so did he because he was more of a meat dog than a fine, polished master hunter and whatever. And I forget who was judging, but he was the regional rep 
for HRC, and he put on a humdinger of a test in South Carolina. And you had to sit on the dog stand with the dog in a flooded little timber hole and blow your duck call. First bird came out, shoot it once. Second bird came out, shoot it twice. Rack another shell and shoot the third bird. It was so, you know, you think that's easy, right? No. With the stress and the nerves and... You know, making sure your dog did the job and everything. Man, I was sweating. I forgot to shoot the next shell. And he whispered. He goes, shoot the next shell. Shoot the next shell. I'm like, bang. The sucker was already in the water. I'm like, well, I guess I fake water swatted him. Um, but it's it's very realistic to a hunt. And, uh, we, and, yeah, water swatting, clearly. And, man, we had a great time doing it. Uh, that sounds just like a David McCracken test. It wasn't McCracken, I mean, but I know who he is, and I love him. I can't think of his name, and now I feel terrible. But but anyways, Kevin's asking who David McCracken is. Mr. McCracken is a American water spaniel expert. Yes, he is. His dog, Gumbo, is the – yeah, great dog name. Gumbo is the – Correct me if I'm wrong, but the most HRC-pointed American water spaniel. Yes, sir. Yep. And him and his wife are water spaniel connoisseurs. She shows them in the show ring, and he runs them in hunt tests and hunts them hard. And they're just the most exceptional people you'd ever meet, and he's a great judge. They are. They're great guys. David David is an excellent judge. And if you ever draw David McCracken at a test, one, you better bring your waiters. And two, you know that it's going to be the most realistic he can possibly make it. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, super cool guy. Great stories. I I really always enjoyed him, you know. And, you know, yeah, he called me Yankee Bob like the rest of you guys. (laughs) <laughs> but I loved him. He would be like he used to have labs, and and again I'm I'm teasing, but I don't mean it disrespectfully. But the way he said American water spaniel, that's right, like that slow southern drawl, and just a gentleman. I love him. He's a good dude, and his wife is awesome as well. Miss Lois is. I mean, they're just salt of the earth people. And you know, you mentioned they show them in the show ring and they hunt test them. And we're talking about the same dog. That dog will run a hunt test on Saturday and be in the show ring on Sunday, and they win. Yep. They win. Yep. Super cool. Um, So with finished, they got to honor. They got to do a triple. They've got to be good with gunfire. They got to be steady. Um, what else can they throw at you, and what else should people prepare for if they want to run a finished test? You know, a, a finished test can be, um, you know, shoot the marks, stand up, run a poison bird blind, come back, pick up your marks. I mean, a finished test, a finished dog truly needs to be ready for anything, you know, down the shore blinds, uh, re-entry stuff, um, you know, mom and pops out of the same winger had, 
you know, it's a, it's just a really anything that that judge can think of to throw at you. Um, they will and can do. How many points do you need to become an HRCH, a hunting retriever champion? You must have 100 points. How many tests So that's that? why, well, I mean, if you've ran, all right, here we go again. Who's on first? If you <laughs> ran, if you ran two started tests, that's 10 points. You ran three season tests, that's 30 points. So now you've got 40. A season test, I mean, a finish test is worth 15 points. So you need four more finish passes to have 100 points and be a hunting retriever champion. Cool. So you don't have to run season or starting, but you would now have to run, what, seven or eight? Do the math real quick. Finish test to get to 100 points, and now you're a hunting retriever champion. Yeah. That's way too much math for me real quick. Um, <laughs> but, I, yeah, that's why old Buck didn't do it. We, I think we passed four, um, but then we moved home and that was it yep. for his HRC career. But it was, uh, the things I loved about HRC and, and this is a plug for those of you who, you know, I, I know you get this phone call. Every single dog trainer gets this phone call. I don't need any ribbons. I just want a great hunting dog, <laughs> but I want this podcast to promote hunt tests because it's fun to do outside of hunting season it hunting season is 60 90 days maybe and you get to maybe hunt 10 of them 12 of them 20 of them whatever the rest of the year what are you doing train and go to a hunt test and have fun my favorite part of hrc is the community and the after hours buffet and food and camaraderie and storytelling and community of the hunt test everybody sticks around saturday night and has a couple beers and has a buffet and you know what a riot and memories from those that if you don't go and join you're missing out uh, i mean you hit the nail on the head how many i can't tell you how many times People have said, listen, I don't need hand signals. I don't need no field trial dog. I just want a hunting dog. Okay. And they come out and they watch. And then they just, you invite them to a hunt test and they go, hey, you think my dog can do that? Well, absolutely your dog can do that. And before you know it, the guy's going hunting with the HRCH, a hunt retriever champion. Absolutely. Because they just see how fun it is, and they just love to see their dog. Most people, you know what, I, I one of my favorite things is people say, you know what, my dog's dumb. My dog won't do anything. And I tell people, your dog will do what you expect him to do. If you expect him to be a couch potato, guess what? He's going to be a couch potato. If you expect him to be a hunt retriever champion, that jerk is going to be a hunt retriever champion. He'll do what you expect him to do. If you want him to be a meat dog, if that's all you expect out of him, guess what? He's gonna be a meat dog. Yep. Yeah, but you got to you got to see it. You got to want it. You got to know your dog can do it and you got to put in the time and come have fun with it. Absolutely. Come have fun with it. The fun is the there's main nothing part. there's nothing more fun to me than to see a young man or a young woman sitting on the stool running their dog. That is just awesome to me. Absolutely. All right, let's jump into the grand. So, oh, I know. All right, 
Let's do it. I mean, tell everybody about the grand. All right. The grand, people ask me, what is the grand? And the grand is the Super Bowl of hunting dog training. The grand is on another level. To qualify for the grand, you must have a hunting retriever champion. But when we go to the grand, the stakes are higher. The control must be way more than what it is on a weekend test. The dog has to be perfect. The grand consists of five series over a week long period. You have two water series, you have two land series, and if you are fortunate enough to pass those four, you have an upland series on the fifth day where your dog must quarter, flush, be steady to wing and shot, and then retrieve the bird if it is killed by the gunner. So, just to put this out there the grand usually has a pass rate of somewhere between 15 and 22 or 23 percent so you know that going in you know of the 604 dogs that you may have less than 100 at the end of the week that have made it through and we still subject ourselves to that punishment by taking dogs up there and entering the grand and running the grand because it is the funnest thing you've ever done. You've ever subject. It's like going up to a big bodybuilder and saying, Hey, will you punch me in the face? (laughs) Because that's what it's like. I mean, you've got dogs there. I carried four dogs to Wisconsin last week. And we drew the toughest series of the Grand, which was the uh, Avery Water, right off the bat. It was a water triple with two really, really nice marks in it. The third one was kind of a splashing, wipeout, breaking bird, if you want. And then the blind they asked you to run was 137 yards. You must cross two logs through some running water into the deep water, swim down the shore. I mean, it was brutal. This thing was just a chainsaw, man, just racking dogs, just dogs that are three and four-time hunting, uh, grand hunting retriever champions. This thing was just eating them up, and I got through it. I got two dogs through it, and then I had another dog, my dog Teal. She had an unfortunate situation with a bird. And then I had another dog that was marginal on his marking and his marginal on his blind, so he went out. But I got two dogs through this just meat grinder of a test. And I'm thinking, man, we're rolling. We're, we're good to go. And then the next day, we get to a land test that you walk up to and go, man, this is just like a weekend test. There ain't nothing to this. And we go out. You just never know. The grand, you hear people say when you go to the grand, it takes a really good dog and a lot of luck. And you think, what what kind of luck? I mean, what's that mean? Well, luck could be anything from lighting. You may come up to that test in the morning, and it may be just a little bit foggy, overcast, and you can't hardly see that long bird that's thrown. Where the dogs that run late in the afternoon, it could be bright sunshine, and that thing just glow like a beacon as it's thrown out there, you know? That's luck. 
or you go to a test. I, I'll never forget. We went to Texarkana and Blaine and Clark Kennington and some of those guys, their first series, man, it ate up three quarters of the field. And there was a hundred dogs in that flight. They come out of the first series with 25 dogs. Holy crap. And then we run that same test two days later and we didn't lose but two dogs. It's just the, just the lighting. The wind was completely different. I mean, you're running a down the shore blind and the wind's blowing at 30 miles an hour into the shore and you're trying to give a dog a cast off the shore and that wind's blowing in there and you know the dog wants to get in there and you lose him. But then two days later, the wind's blowing the opposite direction and he takes every cast you want him to right down the shore. That's the luck that's involved at the Grand. I mean, those guys set these tests up the weekend before not knowing what kind of weather conditions and lighting conditions and wind conditions and whether it's going to rain three inches the night before, you know? Right. That's the kind of luck. But it's the same test. They throw the same three marks, and you run the same blind that everybody else run. The conditions are just different. Talk about the standard that is upheld at the Grand. The standard line manners are 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 just so much tighter. So, I mean, you must have a good, good dog that's under control. Um, the dog cannot creep. I mean, a dog that creeps past the end of the gun barrel, you can just, the judges will just ask you to pick him up. I mean, they will hurt your feelings. Listen, they they do not mind hurting your feelings at all. Then once you get a dog that sits and watches the marks, I mean, they must go to the area of the fall and put on a tight hunt and find the bird. If your dog leaves that area of the fall, I mean, they may give him just a few seconds to figure it out and get his butt back in there and find that bird, or they will quickly tell you to put your dog on the bird. You know, the grand scoring system, you get three, one of three scores. You get zeros, of course, you can take that dog out and carry him home. You can get ones, which are marginal, or you can get twos, which means you did the work and you're clean going to the next day. So you handle the dog one time. That first day, if you have to handle a dog on a mark, you're on ones. So you're on shaky ground right now. Marks and blinds are scored separately. It's not like a weekend test where they kind of just look at the whole, how did the dog do? Okay, he had one little bit of trouble over here on this mark. Um, He had a big hunt, but he did find it. We had two or three cash refusals on the blind, but, you know, we're going to pass it. Not at the grand. I mean, two cast refusals. You get that third one, you can pick him up and take him home. It's it's really high standards. Um, it's exceptional hunting dogs. I mean, that's why there's – at last count, if I'm not mistaken, Bob, there's less than a 1,000 grand hunting retriever champions ever. Less than a 1,000. And that number may be closer to 900. I didn't know that. Yeah. But it's you have to pass the grand twice to get the title of grand hunting retriever champion. That's a great so point. Your, so your blinds must be very tight, very tight. I mean, when they tell you you better challenge the line, you better challenge the line. That dog needs to take every cast, and on every cast, the dog either has to make progress to the bird or progress to the line to the bird. So 
you know, a dog that's, you know, running parallel to the line, let's say you kick him off and he runs parallel to the line to the bird, you know, for a hundred yards and you stop him and you give him a tweet, tweet, a five yard over to pick up the bird, he fails. He never crossed the line. He was never on that line to the bird. So he fails. So you want to see a dog that, that takes good cast, takes good angle cast, that crosses that line from where you're standing or from that bucket or that chair to where the bird is, he's going to cross the line. <laughs> but marking and, and blind running is, is what it's all about. That's crazy. And then you got guys like, I think, you know, Barry Lyons. I, I think I heard this weekend that he made his 88th grand hunting retriever champion. Out of, that you is, said 900. Almost one tenth. Yeah. yeah, right. And then you get guys like Stephen Durrance, who carries 14 dogs and passes 12 of them. Not like once, like every time he goes. I mean, those guys have got it figured out. I mean, they're great trainers. They understand that game, and they're just exceptional at it. Well, that was something that I I don't know, maybe even you and I were talking about it, but people who have played the game the grand enough with enough bullets in the gun aka dogs have figured out what it takes That's how correct. to pass the grand and if you, you know what Stephen Durrance had a seminar Stephen Durrance had a seminar last year and the title of that seminar was how to pass the grand it wasn't about training it wasn't about handling. It was how to pass the grant. And it was so enlightening. It was incredible. I mean, I came away with that thing with so much knowledge. You can't tell it because I didn't pass any dogs this last time. But it was just incredible, the things, the knowledge that those guys have on how to pass the dog. That's cool, man. I wish, you know, it makes me hungry to try it. You know, and we don't have them up here, but I'd have to, God, I'd have to go to how many weekends to get Memphis enough finished passes to get her HRCH and then drive to Timbuktu to run the Grand. And then one of the points I want to make is the Grand is twice a year, a it spring is. Grand and a fall Grand. And, God, you know, I just, I don't have enough time to sleep let alone figure out when I can go to a grand. And, well, uh, it, it's again, Bob, I know what the chances of passing that thing are, you know, when you go. I've got three grand passes. on. I got a grand pass on three different dogs, and I know what my chances are when I sign that dog up. And the owners know what the chances are when you sign that dog up. But when that dog comes away with there with that big green ribbon, man, it's a feeling like you just you can't imagine. You can't imagine to know that you are one of, you know, twenty percent of the dogs that signed up that passed this thing. That's unbelievable. It's awesome. That's unbelievable. Wes, that was an awesome podcast, man. Awesome, awesome well, podcast. I enjoyed it, Bob. You know, I mean, you know, you and I have a good time every time we get together. Um, you guys are doing great things. You guys are doing great things for amateurs. 
Um, I, I love to see the feedback that you guys get when you go live on Instagram and the questions that come in and, and the way you and Kevin um, interact with those guys. You're doing great things, man. You got it going on. Thank you. I appreciate it. Plug yourself now. Tell everybody where they can find you. And if they want to get a dog from you or send their dog to you, how do they get a hold of you? We are in Statesboro, Georgia. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. We are Shady Acres Retrievers. Um, we're right down here in the gnat, snake, alligator capital of the world. Knock <laughs> on wood. We've never had a snake or an alligator bite. Um, we're really careful about that, but yeah, you can catch us there. Um, my phone number straight to my cell phone is right on our Facebook page. If I don't answer, you leave me a message and when the sun goes down, I'll call you back. I promise you. I love it. Guys, Wes Chester, good friend of mine, great guy, class act. If you need help, you know where to find him. Shady Acres. Kennels or Retrievers, Wes? Retrievers. Shady Acres Retrievers. Yes, sir. Wes, thank you, man. Can't thank you enough. Thank you, Bob. Kevin, thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks, brother. Great getting to know you. Yes, sir. Even though I did not get an invite to go down to Arkansas, it's all right. No big deal. Hey, anytime, man. <laughs> I'm on anytime. Anytime. Hey, do me a solid. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, join patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters. If you do it before September of 2023, you're going to enter to win a hunt with me and Kevin and a bunch of other Patreon members down in Missouri. We're going to smack some ducks, have some fun, do a seminar with our dogs and have a great time. But jump into patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters. Links in the description and join the community that helps me help you help your dog. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.